0: For health's sake, a simple chat for better health, I'm your host, Donna Karras. These podcasts are a publication of Amory Hospital and Clinic, Hudson Hospital and Clinic, Lakeview Hospital, Stillwater Medical Group, and Westfields Hospital and Clinic. All are part of a nonprofit healthcare organization committed to enhancing community health. Power Up is a community-wide initiative to make it easy and fun for kids and families to eat better and move more in the St. Croix Valley area. My guest is Katie Ellison, a registered dietitian and community health coordinator at Amory Hospital and Clinic. Katie, I know mealtimes can be frustrating and even turn into battles, especially if you have a picky eater in the family. What do you find really works in that situation?
1: Yeah, there is something that a lot of parents haven't heard of, which we are going to really focus on today. That is kind of the tried and true uh, theory behind raising a good eater and will help us avoid some of those battles and, and tough situations at the dinner table. And this is something that's called the division of responsibility. And what this means is that as a parent, you are in charge of or responsible for certain things around feeding your child. And your child is in charge of or responsible for another set of things when it comes to eating. So, As a parent, you are in charge of what you serve, when you serve it, and where you serve it. And the child is responsible for how much they eat and whether or not they're going to eat it. And so what does this look like? So the first thing I like to have parents focus on is that when. It's the schedule, right? So kids... Thrive with schedule in all aspects of their life, not just with food, but oftentimes we forget about food, right because as parents, we really worry about you know is their child getting enough nutrition, are they getting the right things? are they growing okay? We're thinking about that a lot, and we're feeling that pressure even maybe from our pediatrician or the our uh, friends and families, kids around us. Um, when we follow a schedule with eating, it can help ha- it really helps support our child's natural growth, you know. It's something that is very built within them, uh, their their hunger cues and fullness cues, and we want to help support that. And what helps support that is a schedule. So when we worry about feeding, we often just try to offer them stuff all the time. Especially if we might have a child that seems a little low on the growth chart, we just we want to our inclination is to let's give them food at any moment, all the time. Um, But that what that does is keeps their stomach just sort of kind of full all day and so they're never really going to eat uh, a good meal and they might only just be snacking on the things that they really like and so the, the parent really needs to focus on that schedule and from my experience working with adults and, and nutrition uh, schedules are hard for adults too but they also really will benefit adults so thinking about the schedule uh, a typical schedule for a child is and even adults is three meals and two to three snacks per day, uh, with about two to three hours in between. So we really, so let's say we would have breakfast at 7 a.m., and then we want to have that two to three-hour window, so it might be 9 or 9.30 for snack, and then nothing in between. The only thing that you would want to offer in between that breakfast and snack time would be water. We don't want any juice. We don't want anything with calories, no milk. We don't want anything Uh, because we really want their stomachs to empty so that they feel hungry when it comes to snack. So that's the the when, the schedule. And so working on the schedule would be the first piece that I would recommend for parents is working on that schedule, maybe even hanging up a schedule on the refrigerator if you can. I know some days are just so busy, you're just flying by the seat of your pants. Um, but really trying to think about, you know, when was the last time my child ate, when you know what is the two to three hour mark after this and really sticking to your guns and not uh, giving things in between so that, that means because that's your responsibility that means if your child comes to you and says hey I would like a snack and it's not and it really doesn't make sense that they they should need something at that point you, you really should uh, stick to that schedule and say hey you know right now it's plate time um, we are going to have lunch at noon and so in about half an hour so it's important that you verbalize to your child when the next meal or snack is coming, but you are in charge of that. Um, This is especially true, for example, if you have that picky eater at the table and let's say that at noon they did not eat. For some reason there was something there. They did not. They put up a fuss. They're like, no way, I'm not having that. And then they so then they don't and they leave the table. They start playing and then a half an hour they come to you and say, "Mom, I'm so hungry." And of course your heart breaks, right? You they didn't eat. You want them to grow. You think you should give them something, um, but you have to you have to stick to that schedule. They will learn extremely quickly, and sometimes just a matter of uh, a handful of days. In most cases, no more than a week. That um, if you stick to the, your guns and they come to you a half an hour later and you say, "I'm sorry, you chose not to eat at lunchtime." And now the next time that we're going to eat is 2 o'clock. Um, we have to wait until 2 o'clock. There's definitely going to be breakdowns and, and tantrums in the beginning, but they are trying to figure out what they can get away with, especially if they know, oh, gosh, if I don't eat lunch, you know, I know mom has such and such for a snack, and I really like that. They're working you. <laughs> so sticking to your guns with that schedule and not letting them dictate when or what, for for that matter because that is up to you. The last piece about so we talked a little bit about the the when the what, you know, obviously we we want to offer, you know, a balanced plate. Um uh, but but it's less about nutrition at this converse at this point of the game, the conversation and more about just the structure and following your responsibility. Uh, the last piece of what the parent is in charge of is where. So, for some families, this is the dinner table. Uh, for other families, it might be an area on the floor. We just want it to be a designated area uh, that, that is familiar to the child, that it's happening consistently. Uh, we wouldn't want, you know, we don't want the child getting food and getting up and down and running around. We don't want walking around with the food. You know, we always encourage the the setting to be without distractions. So, shutting the television off. If you have a dog that's distracting, or the child's throwing food to the dog, to remove the dog. Um, so, you kind of control that environment where. Uh, the meal is taking place. Okay, and so then we move to the child, and the child is responsible for how much they're going to eat uh, and whether they're going to eat it. This means, for a lot of parents, this is a tough one because we we are so in a culture of, you know, take another bite, take another bite, or eat this vegetable before you get this cookie, and that is not up to you. You've provided the food And now it's your child's decision um, if they're going to eat it and how much they're going to eat of it. And so we really have to stop saying take another bite and using bribes and pressure because pressure does not work. It backfires every single time. And so I know it's really hard, especially when, again, we want our children to grow. We want them to have all those nutrients. Um, But please, please trust me when I say if you are a family that just – has fruits and vegetables, you have whole grains, you have good sources of protein, and this is just something that you eat because that's within your diet and you're constantly offering it and you're offering variety of foods and you're not pressuring, I guarantee your child will eat it. (laughs) Maybe not today and maybe not in five days. Um, It can take uh, up to 20 to 30 exposures of a new food for a child to accept it and that can be a very painstaking process for a parent and speaking from my own experience even though I know this stuff front and back seeing my own daughter go through this when she was just starting to eat oh boy it was it was really hard uh, I had to kind of just repeat in my head stay neutral stay neutral you can't uh, let your child see you react in a negative way or even an overly positive way, that's why I say stay neutral um, because being extra positive or extra negative, both are forms of pressure. And we want it. We just want them to feel comfortable and let it be up to them. You know, exposures to a food could be just seeing the food. Seeing you eat the food and enjoying the food, it could be touching the food. It could be you know just playing with it. You know when you first start being having a new food, just playing with it a little bit. Let let it not so we're being uh, throwing things or getting a little crazy, but just allowing our child to to see it. Um, And you know a bite and a swallow is actually the last the last form of exposure, the last step in sort of becoming familiar with a food and feeling like it's okay. And so if they have pressure their whole time with a certain food, like broccoli, for example, it makes complete sense that they, you know, we're just not, we're not following their lead. We're not letting them decide when they're ready for it. Um, when we think about what we're going to offer, a piece of advice I, I do have is that, especially if we're offering a brand new food, whether it's a side dish or the main dish, always have something that your child is familiar with just to help uh, take the pressure off. So, for example, I use milk or bread as a common one. So, if you always have milk or you always have bread, that makes sense. They're kind of common things. And if that new thing is lasagna, and then you've got, I don't know, maybe sweet potato. I don't know, making this up. They and they choose that they only want to have the bread and milk. That is their choice. The important part is is that you are exposing them to new foods. And you're giving them that safe place to explore the new food. And you're not getting mad if they don't eat it. Um, because they're, like I said, you have to remember it can take 20 to 30 times before they decide to actually bite and swallow. Um, so we want to make sure that they do have something to eat. Uh, and whether they choose to eat a lot of that, it, it, that's okay. Again, you, you provided it. Now they're deciding um, whether they're going to eat it and how much they're going to eat. Again, those can be really tough lines not to cross. But uh, again, this, this is a, this division of responsibility is really tried and true. I've seen it work over and over again uh, with 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 families that are having trouble with uh, feeding, and whether it's a behavior or they're just their child's not opening up to eating new things. Um, it's a lot of it has to do with pressure. Um, I did mention too a lot of the bribing, so eat this to get that. So, what I, my advice for this is if you're going to have a dessert or some kind of treat after dinner, or that was your plan, have it out. It's just going to be known that dessert is a part of this meal. And if the child decides they want to eat it first, so be it, because we're not going to um, put the pressure on uh, about them getting having to eat one thing to get another thing. What that does is it tells your child that they are supposed to ignore their hunger cues. So, for example, if they fill up on whatever you told them they had to eat, they might not be ready to put any more in their bellies, but they're going to ignore that just because they, they've they been prizing this cookie or whatever it might be to fill to, to have at the end. And so, we again, we need to trust that our children are going to grow as we would expect them to. They're going to follow their growth curve, and we just want to support that uh, process. The last thing I do want to go back to uh, with the schedule and parent is that following a schedule and having your child kind of em- empty their stomach, not to the point where they're starving, but that they're going to feel hunger, is that kids accept new food and just food, but especially new food, so much more, (laughs) the best in fact, when they are hungry. Even if you're thinking about entering a new food into your child's diet, thinking about maybe the meal that they might have, just a really strong hunger, not again, starving. We don't want that because that can just lead to more tantrums and uh, frustration. So we want them just to be, you know, appropriately hungry, but not starving. If we think about the the work week, if your children go to daycare, um, that dinner meal might not be the best time because they've had a long day. You've had a long day. Um, depending on when their last snack was offered at school or daycare, it might be too long or too little time in between. And so uh, we often see that the dinner meals tend to be the most battle oriented or most picky eating. Um, and it just, a lot of it has to do with the schedule or maybe their tiredness at that point. And so maybe the best time to introduce a new or potentially scary food would be on a weekend where you kind of just have the most control or know what's going on. That is really kind of the heart of what really works. It's really this division of responsibility model that supports the structure and and takes
0: the pressure off. That's great to know. Can you share tips to get kids more excited and curious about trying fruits and veggies?
1: Yeah. So this obviously comes up a lot uh, with the pressure, right? Because fruits and vegetables hold all those nutrients. And what I want to remind you is that a lot of fruits and vegetables carry similar nutrients. And so your child can be well-nourished on either. Obviously, we would love for them to eat both fruits and vegetables but you know eventually if you eat them and they're a part of your diet which of course that's recommended and and we'd love that uh, your child will eat them too to make kids excited about trying more or different things this isn't even necessarily exciting it's just i think a lot of parents forget about how many different ways there are to cook a vegetable for example you know you can you know, a lot of people, I grew up with boiling, which, hello, that just zaps some flavor and a lot of good texture out of things. But it's what I, you know, it's what I knew. But there's boiling, there's steaming, uh, there's roasting. And if you've just kind of been stuck in one cooking method, I would highly, highly recommend venturing out into a different cooking method. I, if you've never roasted before, I will get on my roasting high horse. <laughs> roasting is when your oven is kind of cranked up. To above 400, usually 425, and you take some veggies, chop them up, toss them in some olive oil and salt and pepper, and spread them out on a tray. And depending on the vegetable, you know, the cook time could be. Um, as short as 10 minutes for something like broccoli or up to green beans would be about 20 minutes. Brussels sprouts would be 25. Something like a sweet potato cubed uh, might be even close to 40, depending on how big the cubes are. Uh, but anyway, if that's something you're interested in, you know, just the Google machine on the Internet would be a good place to start for uh, roasting vegetables. Um also don't be afraid to use things like sauces or herbs and spices or dips. We don't we often expect our kids to have the plainest of the plain and that's great to also offer sometimes they're plain but sometimes they have a fun sauce or maybe they have cheese sprinkled on top. You know that's okay. That's normal. We eat these things too. So again, we want our children to experience the things that we enjoy and I'm guessing you enjoy flavor. <laughs> you can also, uh, some kids, and maybe you don't hear this all that often, but sometimes kids are a little adverse to textures of fruits and sometimes vegetables too, certainly. Um, the different cooking methods with vegetables will affect the texture. So obviously. Um, You know, the boiling or steaming versus roasting where the roasting might be nice and crispy and make a really delicious kind of I don't I don't want to say burnt, you know, but it's like a a wonderful flavor on the outside just with a crispness. And then it's usually soft in the center, whereas, you know, you boil it, it's going to be kind of all soft fruits, you know, could be made. Uh, you could have canned fruits, or uh, have them made into sauces. If the if the child doesn't like them fresh, if they're a little too hard, um, so so those are just some ways to just make it interesting by changing how you cook it to make kids really excited and curious. The the one thing that I you really can't go wrong with is just involving your kid in the kitchen. There is something for every age to do. I absolutely guarantee it. I, my daughter right now is two and a half years old, and she has been in the kitchen with me since she was able to stand in her stool. Um, whether it was watching me at the stove or helping me stir the spoon or helping pour a measuring cup in with something, and even if there's a mess. I mean, involving your your child in the cooking process makes them invested in the meal, makes them see, obviously, and, uh, how it's prepared. When I teach cooking classes to kids, parents constantly are saying, "I cannot believe my child ate that. They never would have eaten that at home." And it really goes back to them being involved. They own it. They obviously, it it sparks their curiosity. I wonder what this is going to taste like after I, you know, chopped and diced and sautéed and added the spice. You know, I'm I want to know, and that's fantastic. So getting your kids in the kitchen. Sometimes for young kids. It's helpful. As we talked about, taking the pressure off is is really uh, important. But for young kids who are sort of just developing their eating skills, giving them an out or it, just really verbalizing that it's okay to not eat it. I tell my daughter all the time, it's okay to not eat. Like you don't have to eat it. Like she might be, I might set something down in front of her, for example, and she might say, I don't want it. I don't want it. And then I will just keep repeating. You don't have to eat it. You don't have to eat it. And uh 95% of the time she starts eating it. So, anyway, but for younger kids when you're trying to show them that it's okay not to eat it, even having a little dish on their tray, that's kind of the discard tray, and, and you say if you don't want it, you can put it in here. If you just want to touch it or if you want to lick it or maybe you want to bite it but put, you know, spit it back out, this is the wolf. That kind of taking the pressure off is also a way to develop curiosity too because it's a neutral platform for them to observe and experience food so hang in for the long haul it's it's okay uh you can try to make things fun too by not only changing the cooking method but maybe how it just appears on the plate so one thing that we do i have a cooking class where we do kebabs it's just a whole bunch of different very common food items but we put it on a stick and <laughs> the number of kids who tell me it tastes better on a stick is off the charts. And so, I don't know that it makes no sense, right? But you know, it does to them. So, you know, how it's presented or something fun like that, or if you cut it into fun shapes, or maybe if you do something that's really color oriented, which obviously fruits and vegetables are, kids love colors and rainbows. And so working in some of those fun aspects, you know, obviously we're in the Pinterest world where there's just so many fun food ideas. It can make things just really exciting. But again, it's just They still might not eat it, and you have to be okay with that. You might be putting in a lot of effort. Uh, I think that's a lot of reason why the pressure also comes is because as parents, we put in a lot of effort to making food, to buying food, to planning the meals. And so when our child is like, nope, not happening, we get frustrated. And you will be frustrated, and you might waste food or have to throw food away or put it, save it in the fridge for another time. But that's okay because it's really important to let your child Follow their their own lead and, and know when it's right for them. So I think I kind of started to go back to the last question, but uh, they go together hand-in-hand. Hand. I think kind of making it fun and sparking curiosity and, and also having that sort of structure in place. Those are great
0: ideas. Tell us about the Power Up website, powerupforkids.org. Are there resources there we can find?
1: Absolutely. The PowerUpForKids.org, which is PowerUp4, which is the number for the numeric for kids.org, there are a a bunch of great resources. You know, at PowerUp, really, we try to keep things fun and light and exciting and delicious because that's what food and movement are all about, right? Even because um, power is not limited to just eating it's about uh, moving your body as well so you can find um on the part website we actually have it broken down by eating better moving more classes and events tools and programs and fun and games so under eating better we've got some videos we have uh, resources about um eating together grocery shopping There is a recipe gallery, which I've used just most all of the recipes uh, in my cooking classes, so I can tell you they are tried and true and tested, kid-approved. We have information on, you know, active games and even things like open gyms, which are giving kids a place to move their bodies in the winter months, um, and other classes and events that are really tied to, you know, eating better and moving more. Um, there are tons of fun activities and games for kids that you can print off at home. We also have some programs that we run. Although Power Up is a is a community health initiative, uh, we like to work together with partners to change our food and physical activity environment. There are some things that we we take the lead on, and so you can read more about those there. But a lot of our all of our classes, if you wanted to sign up for cooking classes, or some areas have gardening classes there are dance parties, there are kayaking and biking classes. So this is where you can find all of those things. One thing I also want to talk to you about is Power Up Week. So Power Up Week is a special week that happens the second week of May every year. And this year it's the May 4th through the 11th. And this is is a, a week where we really try to celebrate all the ways to eat better and move more in our community so we often have extra events and exciting things to try and that's really the theme this year actually is what we call a triathlon but not like biking swimming and running but try as in T R Y so We want to just help make it exciting to try, whether that's a new food or a new fruit or vegetable or a new game or activity uh, that you've never done before, or maybe if you've never cooked as a family before, um, or maybe you want to try a new recipe. There are so many fun things uh, to try to get us to eat better and move more. And so I really hope you join us for Power Up Week in your community. And you can find more about this on the Power Up website as well. Uh, Our mailer with a calendar of events and additional details on Power Up Week should be out uh, within the next few weeks. So you'll have to look for that in your mailbox as well. Yeah, a lot of great things on Power Up's website. And if you're looking to, you know, make the food and physical activity environment better in your community, uh, reach out. We have something called the Power Up Ambassador Program, where we're basically training parents or adults uh, about how to sort of take the torch of Power Up and be a Power Up ambassador in your community to make these changes. Because you don't have to be us. You don't have to be the -the behind-the-scenes folks we want. We want um, parents and and just people that are involved with kids and and families to to make step up and make these changes just in their own circle, in your own web of influence. Whether it's just in your house, maybe um, your PTA, maybe your church group. You know, there, we're always uh, have opportunities to power up. So you can also find more about that on the website. Because we do have some trainings coming up in in lots of our communities in the next few months. It's just uh, a wealth of information out there.
0: Thanks, Katie.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening.